This is a Sydney EO production. Welcome to episode four of the Sydney EO Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm joined by Pedro Lara. G'day, Pedro. Hey, how are you? I'm well. Um, how long have you been in EO for? I think it's coming up to my third year now. Uh, it's been an amazing, amazing three years. And, and what made you join the chapter? I was actually out for a run with a friend on a Sunday morning. I don't usually go for a run. And the whole run was, oh, you need to join this um, business group. And I was like, leave me alone. <laughs> but uh, for one hour, that's all I heard. And then we were out on the harbour one day and pulled up and I saw a friend at Balmoral, like at where we were going for lunch. And they were with Jenny, who at the time was running EO. And then I got another hour on the boat of like, you should be in EO. And I was like, you know what, let's do it. So it was spare at the moment. And cool. Yeah, I wish I did it earlier. Yeah, right. Okay. And so what, what do you do? I'm, I'm sitting here at the moment uh, in Pagewood um, near uh, Botany. Yeah. And a very, very cool uh, coffee warehouse. Tell me a little bit about coffee parts. So we're effectively an e-commerce player in the coffee space. So we do spare parts, predominantly accessories and coffee machines. Uh, we stay away from the actual coffee, but the all the equipment surrounding making espresso or filter coffee for cafes, roasteries and homes. Cool. So... Um, I saw that you started in 1999, was it? My dad started in 99, uh, effectively from the back of his car. Originally, he bought some parts out of Italy to fix his coffee machine because he couldn't get the parts here at a reasonable price. And the minimum order from Italy at the time, because we had a cousin living there, was 1,500 euros. Um, he only needed a couple parts, but Australia companies here were ripping him off so much he thought he would bring in some parts more than what he needed to re- completely rebuild the machine rather than just fix it and he would on sell some parts to mates of his and that would be that once he did to sell them then people started ringing him for more and more and eventually started coffee parts so so presumably um like your dad there was a whole heap of customers out there that felt they were being ripped off by australian companies and yeah i think between that and him completely undercut the market because at the time he was only trying to sell parts so he could get parts. It wasn't um, really to sell parts to make, as yeah, a business. Yeah, so there was it. no cost. It was from literally from our garage in the back of his car um, until he decided he had a friend that had a shop that which, which was under a knockdown course. The friend had built the building, uh, bought the building and wanted to develop it. And while they were going through DAs and that, they gave the shop to my dad for peanuts and he decided to turn it into a real business. Oh, okay. And then, so what year would have that been? That would have been in like early 2000s, like 2001, 2002. And I guess Sydney at that time was like, that would have been the beginning of the whole coffee shop. You know, like I remember around, I remember around that time I was living in Potts Point and, you know, the coffee shops were popping up left, right and centre and it, it was really the start of that whole coffee it was, revolution. It was early and it was also when there was real beauty to coffee um, it was early in the market, so the people that were doing coffee that now are your mega roasters of today, at the time were startups or passionate people trying to educate the market. It was before Latte Art, Latte Art comps, Barista comps really were prominent. It was 
at a time where people still went to the pub after work and it wasn't let's go meet up for coffee um so it was a, it was a very energetic period of time and mm. uh, and quite fun really and so when did you get involved with the business and, and how did it like it's predominantly online now i assume that when you started out it was it, it very much wasn't that it was more of a fixed store um not really my mum had a, a company called cg web designers um building websites for people e-commerce back in the mid to late 90s very very early on when things were still html and javascript and when my dad started selling things from the boot of his car my mom was like well we need to do a website so we were online from 99 you could order online you could check out online from 99 back then obviously didn't show stock levels and you know things weren't um as connected you did have to do the invoice and you had to you know, write an express post bag and walk over to Australia Post and ship it. It was very disjointed compared to, you know, the efficiencies of today. But it was online from the get-go. Um, me and my dad were really close. I'm an only child. Uh, and my dad was kind of the cool dad. So I was always around him after school, etc. So I was always helping pack orders. And then when I was 19 and at uni and probably breaking away a bit from the family because I discovered nightclubs and girls and etc. He suddenly passed away. So then overnight I had to run a business to pay for my uni. Oh, right. So you were forced into it at the age of 19? 19, yeah. Wow. So um, that was a, a bit of a change. And at the time we were only selling spare parts, so we weren't accessories as yet. And it wasn't really cool. So it was really just a means of... My mum wasn't working, so it was really a means of just supporting the family and paying my way through uni so I could then go and be a corporate boy <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> and so what did you study at uni? I was at UNSW under the co-op program doing business information technology, which I did finish, but I ended up having to go part-time and, and took a little longer than I thought. And do you think that that study that you did has actually fed into what you're doing now? Like you've got quite a – what you were showing yeah. me before, it's quite a sophisticated – uh, back-end inventory system to your, your website? Um, due to the era in which we were studying business information technology at, at UNSW at the time, it was a bit of a no-man's course. It wasn't in the School of Business. It wasn't in the School of informa- uh, uh, Computer Science. And the School of Information System hadn't been developed yet. So it was basically you're doing half accounting degree, half computer science, and you're in no-man's land. Um E-commerce was quite new, so things we were still learning was like Haskell and C, etc. On the business, on the side of the computer side of things, and on the business was your standard accounting, one A, one B, statistics, whatever it was. Um, so it didn't really help at the time. Where it's really helped is now 10, 12, 13 years post uni. A lot of the friendships I've made at uni have come back and just paid mega dividends. You know, um, people have opened up their own software companies online that software that we use or they've gone and become quite high levels at companies that have allowed me to have favorable deals or it's um it's so definitely it's a, paid it, off. it goes back to that whole network a bit like eo in a way yeah definitely i was i think i was quite lucky it was um very early for that course and because it was a scholarship course it did attract um some talented people some talented people and yeah and yeah, it's been a amazing. At the time, I thought it was a waste of time, and now I was like, 
the best thing that ever happened to me. And so uh, in that cohort of people going through the scholarship, how many people were in a year? I think in the program it was roughly about 20 people a year. It was very tight-knit. Um, obviously, doing the actual course was was a, a, yeah, more. a few hundred. Yeah. But in the scholarship, and because we were on co-op, we tended to have tutes together. So you kind of you become competitive, and you're competitive with kids that were like, yeah, damn intelligent. Ta- yeah, yeah, I was probably the dumbest <laughs> guy there. But um, but it it, it forced me to, yep. to push harder. And so fast forward through to today, 2018. Tell us a little bit about where you've taken coffee parts. Um, so around the 2008 period, uh, there was a really hot coffee machine coming out and I really wanted it. And it was more for me and the minimum order was three. So I, I basically convinced two other people to buy one with me. And it was the Keys Van der Worsen Speedster, which we still have here and we still distribute. Um, That's the machine that you've just kind of made coffee, coffee on, yeah. yeah. Beautiful coffee, by the way. And um, thank you. And from there was like I realized when globally the financial crisis, I guess, was happening and I'd bought a whole bunch of plungers and this super expensive coffee machine. I was struggling to sell the plungers and I couldn't get enough super expensive coffee machines to sell. So, so, I, so people were like just splurging on, you know, they were hurting in other places and then they'd treat themselves I, by doing a homemade coffee. Uh, not so much because these coffee machines were extremely expensive. So it was more that I feel like the, the most people were hurting but the top end actually made no difference um, to their net wealth. So it's when coffee parts took a turn and we started doing really high-end equipment and beautiful equipment and we moved away from the commodity so to speak and just doing products we believe in beautiful design beautiful products um well made original designs so not like replicas or or inspired by kind of products um and it was probably a big shift and it was when could really have fun and make the shop cool rather than effectively a hardware for coffee machines and so you you were telling me before you're really big on lifestyle. Yeah. Um, how has the business sort of fitted in with what you wanted to do? For me, it's like we've all got one journey and the final outcome's the same for everyone. And I want, really wanted to enjoy the ride and be present. So Coffee Parts had to become a big part of my life and my life part of Coffee Parts. So the whole shop is really like a big playground for me the technology i love technology i love creative content so we've got our own photo studio we've got our own workshop that we can build things so apart from just moving a product from a to b i get to create build and effectively live the life i love and thank god with the technology that we have today a lot of the business is automated like data is key for us we know where our customers are where our suppliers are product pricing it's not run on spreadsheets so with that it's really allowed me to be able to step away and have the coffee by the beach be present have family and friends around yet the business is still part of me you know yeah so yeah so you can manage am i right to think that you can really as long as you're online you can pretty much manage the business from wherever you want to be as long as i have a screen i can manage the business um in saying that someone still has to be in the warehouse to pack the orders and yep. get it out but for me personally as long as there's a screen and wi-fi yeah i'm good so do you take advantage of that as far as travel goes and 
uh, I'm learning to take a lot more advantage as a travel guy. I get nervous being outside the country just in case something does go wrong mm. and, you know, you can't fix it from a screen. But in terms of while I'm here, yeah, I'd definitely take advantage of it. Oh, that's great. And, like, how many products do you stock? Um, we have just over 10,000 products online. In stock, there's probably around two-thirds of that. Um, mind you, some of those products are permutation combinations, so... You know, a tamper might equate to 200 products by the time you've got different bases and colors. Got you, got you, got yeah. you. Okay, and and then how do you, like I guess it's like any industry, but how do you stay on top of what's hot, what's selling? Is it is it market feedback or is it more you choose the stuff that you like and then push that out to your client base? I think it's a bit of both. Like I love being around cafes and hospitality. It's who I am regardless if I had the business or not. So you, you tend to see what's cool, you know, what baristas are kind of doing makeshift ways because they don't have the right product. So you can go look for a product that solves that problem. Or, you know, you see on Instagram suddenly a product is popping up everywhere. Is a trend going that way? Using technology, you can, you know, jump on Google Trends and see what the traction is on a particular thing. There's a lot of software that looks at SEO and SEM and you can see trends. So, I guess by putting all that together, you, you get a gut feel. What are people using in cafes? What are people using at the World Barista Comps? What's trending on Instagram? What are you feeling the market's needing? And what do I personally like at the end of the day? I love coffee and I, I love the equipment. So I was interested in your viewpoint in coffee around the world because I know when I travel, I still think Australia, Australia has the best coffee. Like even in Italy, you know, I prefer, often I prefer the coffee in Australia as opposed to Italy. So... Why do you think Australia is leading the way as far as coffee goes? Or are they leading the way? I mean, I'm just making that assumption. but I think globally, Australia is leading the way. Um, overseas, if you go to America or London, Australian cafes, Australian baristas are hot property. They're like the rock stars at the moment. Um, I think they're, they're leading the way because there were some pioneers here 10 years ago that really started pushing forward and educating the market. Um and that kind of allowed the whole latte art and milk base compared to like where America was predominantly filter coffee or Italy's espresso and served differently. I do feel that there is some things to be learned from overseas. I, I love that in Italy, you get an espresso while you're talking to the barista on the counter and you're mm. present rather than rushing to a cafe, getting that takeaway, which generally ends up being landfill cups. Um, and then drinking in your in your car while you're rushing to the next point and never really appreciating that coffee that being you know, had to be growing the farmers the transport the roasters the baristas there was a lot of touch points and when you're just drinking that coffee as a commodity you're not really appreciating the moment and i feel like italy appreciates the moment but then i feel like australia does milk based beautifully and does a whole experience around cafes so I think there is a, a lot to be learned from, from travel. And so what are your plans for the future with Coffee Parts? Um, want, want to grow it, but I want to really keep focusing on beautiful products and hopefully working with suppliers in future to reduce packaging and to make packaging more environmentally friendly. We've stopped using bubble wrap and using ethically sourced paper from a machine that turns it into almost like a bubble wrap and i'd like to see suppliers use um cardboard box that ethically source not wrapping products in plastic that doesn't need to be and um making products that last the distance not so much throw away and kind of seeing 
coffee cups become more reusable and seeing coffee parts help the vision of coffee becoming really sustainable. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, we're going to work towards wrapping up the interview yeah. now. So um, just a few questions. Yeah. Uh, how old are you? 33. I had to okay. think about that. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, I've got to, I normally ask um, what, what do you do to keep fit, to keep active? Well, I've been really lazy for the last few years and I've started training again four weeks ago. Going, oh, okay. Um, with a mate who I used to train in my early 20s. So it's been fun to be boys yeah. again, basically, at yeah, the gym. Yeah, cool. Um, how many hours sleep do you get each night? Six to eight. Six to eight. And this is an extra question that I've just thought of now. How many coffees do you drink a day? Oh, well, I've <laughs> Guy had, in the coffee business. <laughs> I've had four today. Yeah. Um, anyway, from three to five, three to six. Yep. I, I don't particularly think that's healthy, but um, it just... must be hard when you're surrounded by all these beautiful machines. Beautiful and machines. People come in. It's a natural thing to have a coffee with them. Yep. Um, yeah. 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 Um, do you have any personal goals you're looking to achieve in the next 12 months? To be more present and to make all my decisions based on love and not fear. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay, thanks for sharing that. And then finally, um, what uh, business achievement would you like to be most remembered for? This is always a bit of a curly one when I ask this question. Having a, a beautiful company that sold beautiful products with a, with a beautiful vibe, you know, like just really want – I read the book E-Myth many years ago and to be able to stand outside their business see a well-oiled machine but then to add – you know, Simon Sinek start with a Y and just to bring it all together. I think beautiful, beautiful products that made the coffee industry beautiful. There's a lot of beautiful in that, but, <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Pedro. Yeah, thank you. And if you've been enjoying the Sydney EO podcast, please remember to subscribe and leave us a review and, and share it with a friend. See you next time. Thank you.